Welcome to Stutter Stories, where guests from around the world each share the ins, outs, ups, and downs of life and conversation as a person who stutters. Hosted by Tricia Hedinger and Ja Ben. In the media today, we are blitzed with anti-role models. Drugs, lies, dirty politics, being bad is just more fascinating than being good. And so role models who uphold high ethical or moral values are not the stories that typically make it to the press or to social media. And studies show that children start to model the behavior of individuals whose actions they see getting rewarded. So what do we do in this circumstance when children aren't getting to see the true role models getting attention? The most common thread I hear about transformative moments for people who stutter is the first time they met someone else who stuttered. Um, And we need to make this happen more often and earlier. I'm often hearing from people that they never met anyone until they were in their late teens or 20s, that they'd never met anybody else who stuttered until then. How do we make that happen? It might be easy if kids have a parent or a family member or somebody else in their school that is also a person who stutters, but for other kids who don't have that, how do we make it happen? How do we create easier access to role models who stutter? At the end of this episode, you'll hear our guest ask, what is the purpose of stutter stories? And I think that's one of them, is to create an opportunity for people and children or even adults to hear other people and their stories of resilience to and, and having them pose as role models in, in a way, even if it's just through a podcast. I'd like to introduce our next guest, Dr. Tim Salteclair-Aloo. He is a professor and program director at the University of Tennessee Department of Audiology and Speech Pathology. He does a lot of research focusing on the neurophysiology of stuttering. He's been a support group leader in the past and has lived all around the world. And I've known Dr. Tim for about eight years now almost. And we've taught classes together and done some research together. And we also host a summer camp for children with speech and language challenges. And while his resume is pretty impressive, I would say a moment that particularly stands out is when we were having our summer camp in which we go out into the Smoky Mountain, the Great Smoky Mountains, and uh, stay overnight, and we camp in tents. And one of the boys that was there towards the end of the week said to me, he was about 12 years old, came up and said to me, Dr. Tim is just about the most interesting man in the world. And I thought that was so memorable because it was an opportunity for uh, a young man who stutters to get to meet somebody else and he found him so fascinating and I think that's great and it's also another reason why we need to build more connections between adults and children who stutter. So with that being said I'd like to welcome Dr. Tim Salteclair-Aloo. Hey Tim how are you today? 
I am very well, thank you, Tricia. How are you? I'm doing great. So why don't you start off and tell me a little bit about yourself, where you're from? I know you kind of, you grew up all over the world. Um, so even, you know, where you're from and where you grew up in the past, and then even, you know, a little bit about your work and your uh, things you like to do in your free time. Okay. <laughs> all right. Um, well, let's see. I, uh, my name is Tim Saltaclaralu. So my last name is Turkish which is because I have a Turkish father uh, and I was born in Turkey. So I spent the first three and a half years of my life in Turkey and uh, my mom's British. So we wound up moving to England when I was three and a half years old. And uh, I grew up speaking Turkish or learning when I was young, Turkish and English when I was young. And uh, um, I started to stutter when I was, I can't remember, probably three years old, I think, but uh, I think the doctors at the time told my parents that it might have been something to do with me learning two languages at the same mm -hmm. time, which, uh, you know, made my mom feel pretty guilty, I think, at the time. But uh, anyway, I think I've probably convinced her that that probably isn't what caused me to stutter. But mm -hmm. anyway, um, we went from Turkey to England and then... Um, we moved to Nicaragua, and I lived in Nicaragua for a year when I was young. So I'm just kind of fast-forwarding different places. Uh, we moved back to England, and then um, I think the next big move was we moved to Mexico when I was 14. So that was a big move for me when I was 14. That was mm -hmm. kind of a difficult move. Had to make new friends and move to a new school. And uh, 14's a tough age for that. <laughs> <laughs> it was. It yeah. was. And I moved from a really, from a school that I loved in Mexico. It had 800 kids. It was an international school that had 800 kids from all over the world from grades 1 through 12 to a uh, high school in Canada where I was, uh, I skipped a grade and they put me into 11th grade or what's that, uh, junior year of high school and I was 14 and there was 1700 kids in there and I didn't know any of them and I stuttered and it was a and that was a difficult move but uh, you know I was able to make friends and that and then uh, lived in Canada for a number of years and then um, I moved to the US uh, I moved first I well, I don't want to tell you all the gory details, but I wound up getting kicked out of college twice for uh, <laughs> this and that. Just not, just not nothing good. <laughs> nothing <laughs> good. <laughs> terrible, but uh, um, just I was immature and mm -hmm. uh, you know really didn't know what I was doing and uh, <laughs> what I was going to do with my life, but. Um, Anyway, my first trip to the U.S., or my first schooling in the U.S. was at Washington State, where I finished my bachelor's degree, and then I went back to, they let me back into Canada, um, and, and to University of Alberta to do my master's degree, and after that, I was the, I was the only male in the class, which I think was, was fairly typical, and might, and is, and is still pretty uh, typical, and, um, all the other students in the class had found jobs and I didn't have a job yet. 
So I was late mm-hmm. figuring out where I was going to, what I was going to do after my PhD. And uh, I took a trip or I got recruited to come and work at a, in school systems in North Carolina. So I came down and I moved to the U.S., moved to, actually moved to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. And that was a big culture shock. Uh, Western Canada to, um, yeah, I was, I was working in pretty rural North Carolina, Brunswick County. Mm. And, you know, I, I came to work as a speech therapist there and um, I heard the accents and I thought every kid <laughs> speech therapy and then I realized no this is just me I sound different than the rest of them and, uh, but I and, um, and and I was lucky enough that they that I realized that stuttering wasn't a very popular disorder to work with uh, in the school system so I wound up because I was interested in stuttering um, I wound up treating all the kids in the county all the other speech pathologists in the county gave me their kids who stutter and I worked with them and um, you know I didn't make very much progress I was working in the school system and it was mm-hmm. tough. it was tough going uh, but I realized I wanted to do a PhD I, I, I realized that I um, wanted to keep going with my education and mm-hmm. I um, and I found out there was a program right up the road at East Carolina um, I looked into a a couple of other schools, but I figured since I was already in the Carolinas and I just made a big move from Canada, I didn't want to make another big move. And I stayed in North Carolina and did my PhD at ECU and finally graduated in 2004 and um, was offered a job at the University of Tennessee, where I've been ever since. So I now a professor in the audiology and speech pathology department at the University of Tennessee and uh, been here yeah 16 years now I think. Mm-hmm. so yeah I feel like yep. I, I feel like I'm one of the older people in the department now and it turns out I am <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> So, so how do you think growing up in all those different areas and moving around a lot uh, impacted your relationship with stuttering? Mm, it was pretty lonely. Um, you know, this, these were not times when stuttering was that well known, or not that that wasn't well known, but people didn't talk about it as much mm-hmm. in, in families. I mean, it was one of those things where... Um, you know, people knew I stuttered, uh, but we didn't really discuss it much. Um, it was just one of, you know, uh, my parents didn't have that much information about it. It was kind of like if they heard me stutter, they, they, uh, tell me what they heard on the street, you know, slow down, Mm -hmm. uh, take a breath, but that wasn't very helpful. Um, but it was, I think the biggest thing was in making friends. It was, you know, or not making friends. It was leaving friends behind. Mm -hmm. I actually was pretty good at making friends. Um, I was, I think I was lucky enough to, to meet nice kids and to make friends. But then when I left them, that was the hard part. That was when you knew you you were going somewhere else. Mm -hmm. I knew I'd have to do it again, but I, I don't think that's unique to stuttering. I think that's probably 
comes with anybody who uh, traveled around a lot as a kid. But really, in my relationship with stuttering was that it was, you know, I didn't meet anybody else who stuttered mm. uh, until, oh, how old was I? Probably not until I, gosh, probably not until I went to therapy, to intensive therapy when I was uh, 19. Hmm. So for the first while, it was just kind of me dealing with it. And it was pretty lonely mm-hmm. in the prehistoric times before the internet. And right. Stuff like that. And, uh, you know, I was, I was afraid of making phone calls. So, um, you know, if the phone was the big, you had to use the phone. Um, but people knew I stuttered and it didn't, um, it wasn't, I didn't feel like it was, I was picked on too much. There were a few bad, there were were a few bad incidents, but, uh, I think it was just, yeah, I think it was just the not having other people, not knowing anybody else. Yeah. Yeah. Not having a role model, not having a friend that also stutters is. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was probably the most difficult thing. Yeah. How would you say your friends and family typically responded to your stuttering? Yeah, we didn't, as a family, we didn't talk about it much. Mm-hmm. Um, Do you, you wish know. you had? Well, that's a good question because I think it's, it's a double-edged sword. I never, uh, yes, I do. I think it, it would have been easier. I think I, I would have, it would have been nice to have somebody to talk to about it or, or to be able to have people that you, or people that would empathize with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, I think it, you know, my mother never let me use my stuttering as an excuse for anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, I had to make all my own phone calls. Mm-hmm. It never, I never, you know, there was never any leeway in uh, what I was, you know, I could never use stuttering as an excuse for anything. Yeah. So in the long run, that might have been good for me. I don't know, but not having any, you know, maybe you know, the not not being able to talk about it, not having people to talk about it as much made me has made me less. In some ways, it took me a while, I think, to get in touch with the actual feelings that you have that. Uh, that, that people who stutter have and to really realize that those are real and that they're valid and yeah. uh, not until I talked to other people who stuttered that I realized, Oh yeah, this is, these feelings are actually quite real. And that. Yeah. so, um, so I, I think there was, there's two sides to, uh, to that, but in, in hindsight, it would have been nice to have a little bit more, a uh, uh, little bit more, you know, so, uh, emotional support there. But, you know, I was lucky with friends. I mean, my friends were always really supportive. and if, That is really lucky. You know, yeah. you don't hear as many kids saying that or many adults saying that about their childhood. No, I was, I mean, I never, uh, there was a couple, there was the odd time, but I had a good solid, I always had, was able to make a solid group of friends who could see beyond it, so... Yeah, do you think you have any explanation as to why it was easier, why it was easy for you to make friends when so many other kids will say that it's so hard? Um, like I've heard other people say, well, I played sports and, and 
you know, I just always hung out with the people I played sports with. Was there something that you felt like you had a go-to move? I mean, besides the fact that you kept moving around and you had to make friends over and over and over again, so maybe just practice. Yeah, I would say Canada was the hardest, though. Yeah. Um, when I practiced, I was I moved to the straight, you know, uh, when I moved, when I was four, I worked, the older I, well, I was it? Moving to Canada when I was 14, that was the hardest. Then when I moved to the U.S. to work um, in the school system in Brunswick County, that was also tough, but not for the same reason. It was, I already knew what I was doing. It was just a, a big culture shock and moving to Myrtle Beach in the winter, or moving close to Myrtle Beach area in the middle of the winter time and not knowing people in different cultures. And, yeah. And, um, not going to church, I think that probably yeah. slowed me. In down. the Bible Belt. <laughs> no. Yeah. yeah. Um, In the Bible Belt, that's tough. <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, no, I think I was just, no, I, honestly, I think I just, in Mexico, I was really lucky because, the, like, as I said, the school I went to, it was so diverse. Mm -hmm. Had 800 kids from 33 different countries from all over the world. So, mm -hmm. It was kind of a school that embraced diversity before it was even cool to uh, to embrace a diversity. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that helped, just knowing that people, you know, the kids there accepted each other for being different and mm -hmm. their differences in that, and that made things. And also there were things that, you know, we all had to wear school uniforms. So we, mm -hmm. we all, Maybe that helped too. Is that we weren't, we weren't it wasn't as clicky because of the all wore school uniforms in places. Um, I yeah, I, I no, I don't see anything special about what I did. I think I was just lucky. Really, yeah. I think I was just I just was lucky to meet good kids. That's good. Yeah. Um, are there any? Do you have any pet peeves about stuttering, or are there responses that people give that make you cringe or feel annoyed? Yes. <laughs> um still you know i uh, I've been, and i and i like to think that i've become desensitized to a lot of the things that bug or that are annoying to, to that are annoying to people who stutter i mean you know i i've i've been studying this for a while i've been studying communication but still it bugs me if people cut you off and don't give you time to talk mm -hmm. and don't give you time to people that know you stutter too mm -hmm. and will still hurry you up, finish your sentences. And, um, you know, I, I, I just think, and, and I, and I need to, and I, and I, and I keep thinking to myself, you know, you need to get past this. Some people just can't help it. <laughs> mm -hmm. but it's still but I, it still bugs me because it's I think what it does is it you know when somebody finishes off your sentence or uh, puts you under all that time pressure it just everything gets worse it's not just that one interaction then you, the, you, you feel the pressure building mm -hmm. and the pressure continues to build and it gets harder and harder to communicate even if it, if it just happens once so I feel like that is still my number one pet peeve is just not being given the time and you know it happens uh, in your personal life it happens in your professional life professionally you're in meetings mm -hmm. with people 
and meetings or the the uh, the uh, uh, dynamics of meetings can change and I find it really difficult sometimes to interact properly in in some meetings or personal or even or personal settings when there's when you're interacting with more than one person it's usually easier when you're talking to more, well, one person at a time if you're talking to one person at a time and they interrupt you and are being rude then that's a really bad sign but um mm -hmm. uh it, you know it happens i think a lot less intentionally when you when you're in a group of people but it's still mm -hmm. annoying and it's still difficult yeah it's kind of difficult to find your ground in the conversation. Yeah. I think since I've been focusing on stuttering for the past, you know, so many years that I've become um, more sensitive to people interrupting just in general, you know, and, and I do find it more stressful when you have the certain personalities who interrupt all the time. And I don't know if I've just become more aware of it or not, but um I do yeah. find, I, I find it stressful. So, or yeah. unpleasant rather. I don't know if I find it stressful so much as just unpleasant. Mm -hmm. So. So, so you find it, um, you, so you find it unpleasant. So yeah. And I think, yeah, I think for a person who stutters, you find it unpleasant and you feel the stress. Yeah. 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 So, but I think, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. And, and I think you're right. It, it does. There are some there are just certain personality, or I don't know if it's personality type, but there's people whose personalities just make them want to jump in. Mm -hmm. Or even just conversational habits that people have, probably. Yeah. 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 All right. And this is, a, this is the tougher question. Um, would you tell me about a time that you thought was particularly challenging or hurtful or defeating kind of related to stuttering and and how did it make you feel? And if you could do anything differently, what would you do? Yeah, this was one that I um, tried to figure out what would be the best answer because, mm -hmm. you know, I think you ask this to anybody who stutters and, and everybody, and you get memories flooding back and it's like, mm -hmm. oh, there's been so many. Um, <laughs> which one do I pick? But, um, you know, I Which could am I willing about, to share too? Is I'm sure the tough one. Yeah, I mean, there's I've I'm not too I have I don't have that much problem sharing. It's just I'm trying to find trying to think about you know the ones that stand out, and I think I'm sure that everybody who stutters has experiences that stand out as being their worst or the worst times. And I, and I have you know I've and I remember being uh, one where. Uh, like, as I said, my experience in Mexico was actually pretty good, but there was one time I was on the school bus and there was somebody started uh, teasing me about it and I got into a fight on the school bus. Mm. That was no, but, you know, that was just kids being kids. Mm -hmm. But I think the one that, the, the thing that was sort of, the big one that was life-changing was, um, I said I, I went through therapy when I was 19 and the program I went to was the ISTAR program at the University of Alberta in Canada, mm -hmm. which is a three-week comprehensive program. It, um, at the time, it was teaching, it was very heavy 
in the fluency shaping skills with a little bit of Van Rypuyen on the side to call to hence comprehensive, but it was mainly fluency shaping. Mm -hmm. But um, I went through that program. It was a three week program. And uh, while I was going through that program, I, I, I got really fluent. I was speaking uh, as you know, I sounded fantastic. I was, I loved how I was sounding. And um, you know, I wasn't even, I didn't even feel like I was using all the techniques. It was just, I was, I'd used them enough that the fluency carried over. My confidence was high. It was wonderful. And um, at the end of that program, they had all the clients uh, develop a maintenance program so that when you left you could go out and practice the techniques and you'd be able to use them whenever you needed to uh to the uh, the idea was you practice them as much as possible and you use them as much as possible um but i i came out of there and i had my maintenance program and i had a summer job i was working in the forests in the well or where they'd cut down the forest in Western Canada, I was planting trees and I was out there the rest of the summer and I didn't have that much time to speak, but, or not that much, I plenty of time to speak, but I was working by myself a lot of the day. And so I'd be talking to people in the morning and at night and, and I really wasn't practicing techniques. I was sounding good, feeling good. And everything was great. And then at one point I just relapsed and it was, it's like, whoa, this is, I, I still stutter. And I think that was the, re, that was the realization that this is, that uh, I'm, I'm not cured. I'm not, uh, I need to keep practicing this. And I, and then I tried to get, uh, practice it and get it back, but I don't think I ever achieved the level of fluency again just practicing the techniques that i had at the end of the three-week intensive clinic mm. and that was difficult and um you know and if i could go back to the moment or you know i i don't know if i if you know now after for a while i blamed myself for not using for not doing the maintenance plan and for not practicing, you know, I was thinking, well, I should be waking up uh, 30 minutes before everyone else so I can practice my fluency shaping techniques or, or I should be practicing them while I'm planting trees. Mm -hmm. uh, and, I, and I beat myself up for that because I feel that because I, I, I felt like I wasted the uh, uh, I, I was, it was kind of a waste of time. But, you know, in hindsight, it's not because what I learned from it, I mean, it, this, that's really the experience that made me go into this field that made me want to learn more about stuttering and to go ahead and to become a speech pathologist and then later get a PhD in it. So, mm -hmm. you know, I was having that experience that drove me to where I, I think gave me the uh, inspiration and gave me a goal um, mm -hmm. you know, the first thing I thought of after that was, and this was my first kind of scientific thought. It, it really wasn't very, uh, scientific. It was like, Hmm, what if I could be hypnotized to use these techniques all the time? 
that was really, I was like, hmm, can you try it? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't. But that was, that was kind of like, what if we could pair speech therapy with hypnosis? That would be something. <laughs> Had all these little uh, uh, diagrams figured out about how that would work. And anyway, but um, yeah, it was kind of, that was, I think, pretty devastating to realize that all that therapy and I wasn't cured and uh, I was going to have to continue to work with this mm. in my life. And then, um, and then, you know, going into uh, speech therapy and then learning what I know about fluency shaping and talking to other people about their experiences with it, it all sort of falls into place. So uh, it impacted me. And, but yeah. I think, and it was, and I think maybe I, I did learn something from it. Mm -hmm. hmm. Um, can you tell me about a time where your perspective about stuttering changed? Um, uh, I mean, and, and that story is, you know, that does kind of show a, a little bit of a change in perspective. Is there, is there anything else that, um, that has changed your, your thoughts about stuttering or how you view it? Well, I like to think that it's continually changing. I don't know. Um, I think uh, the big, I probably, the first time I had to teach a class mm -hmm. as a PhD student and have to stand up in front of the class stuttering and exposing yourself, basically, mm -hmm. letting it uh, letting people see it mm -hmm. and um, and then but and that was I think difficult but at the same time I would probably say that that's that was probably the most uh, that's probably one of the best things that I've done for my own stuttering it taught me about the fears but it taught me about overcoming them too yeah it taught me I mean it made me realize that I've been hiding uh, stuttering so much and it made me realize that standing up in front of and in front of a group of people is really difficult mm -hmm. well, it's really and it's and it's uh, it's really difficult if you stutter but it all it's also a really good way to face your stuttering mm -hmm. deal with it and to you know if you can stand up in front of a group of people and let them see you stutter then other things become much easier too. And um, so I think that was uh, one of the things that really changed my perspective on it. And then just this fall, um, having to go to Zoom, teaching on Zoom. Um, I was teaching an undergraduate anatomy and physiology class to 70 students and they're learning by Zoom and it's hard and we're all just getting mm -hmm. Zoom. And I didn't feel like it was going very well at first. I felt like, I mean, you know, I don't think we should judge the quality of our interactions by how fluent we are, mm -hmm. but it certainly feels better when you're um, speaking more fluently, especially when you're teaching a class on Zoom and it's, mm -hmm. you know, difficult to focus, uh, you know, for it, it, and it's difficult for the students to focus in the first place. And then, if you're stuttering, I think it's an added challenge for the students to focus. Um, but I think uh, there was, it would, and, I, and I was really, and I, and I was really kind of 
uh, not happy by how class was going, but all of a sudden I just kind of, things just kind of clicked into place. Yeah. It just got easier. And I, I started trying a few new things and, uh, and all of a sudden speaking, or I, I, I just kind of, things fell into place. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, and I basically, I think I've told you a little bit about what I did. It was just kind of, uh, as kind of a, you know, I wasn't using fluency shaping techniques because I, you know, I go up and down with those and we all know the issues with those, but I just kind of thought about how I wanted to sound when I was teaching, how I would, how I should sound when I was teaching, what would be my ideal voice. And I kind of focused on that, so kind of borrowed some, some ideas from Vince Botter and Thad Cox about how they think about their speech and kind of mm -hmm. use some of their uh use some of those ideas to think about how i would just like to sound when i was teaching and focused on that and somehow and i think things fell into place i'm not advocating this for anybody else because there's no science behind it but uh it just it's a little something that i worked that worked for me and i'm just kind mm -hmm. of continuing to explore that and i will it when i get back to teaching this semester it's going to be on zoom and uh so yeah. that was uh what what adjectives would you say you would were thinking of when you thought this is this is how I want to sound? Were there what was your goal? It was more to do with the it was a combination of the rate, how fast I think I should speak when I'm being an effective teacher, how much I should, and it was and it was my intonation, like. Mm -hmm. Uh, what words and what syllables should be emphasized, and a little bit of and a little bit of accent too. What that was? Oh, that's that's something that I should probably mention. Um, one of the things I did notice uh, living in all these different countries is that my accent was very malleable. Mm -hmm. uh, I picked up lots of different accents and. Um, and every time I changed my accent, I was more fluent. It helped me sort of control my stuttering. It's just changing the way you talk. So when I was doing it for this, for teaching in Zoom, I wasn't trying to change my accent. I was thinking about how, what is my accent? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Do I actually it's have still one? Canadian. It yeah, still right. sounds Canadian. <laughs> so I was, uh, I was thinking about what is my true accent? Like, and I was trying to kind of focus on that while I was, teaching too so the rate intonation just kind of where like what is my true real me accent and i think that was just and all those things just and those were the things that i um uh that i focused on i, mm -hmm. I didn't really have to focus on it because i was focusing on the teaching but mm -hmm. just kind of that's how i was aiming to sound as i talked nice so tell me a moment that you felt like was a success for you or a certain speaking accomplishment. To learn more about creating or developing support group systems in your area, check us out at www.worldstutteringnetwork.net. Okay. Well, I met my fiance on match.com. <laughs> And 
for any, and you know, for online dating, a lot of the communication, uh, you start out by not having to talk to each other. It's all mm-hmm. online mm-hmm. Uh, typing, et cetera. But I was, you know, I've always, I was, but I've always been pretty open about the fact that I, I stutter. And then, um, we obviously met, <laughs> we obviously mm-hmm. met to <laughs> talk to each other in person. And it was just one of those meetings that I thought was like, it was not impacted by stuttering at all. It was just a very, like it was just, I felt really comfortable. And I think that's why, you know, and I could tell that it was not going to be an issue with us. Mm-hmm. Things that was just, um, just it wasn't anything in particular that she did or anything she was aware that I stuttered but I've but there's other people that have been aware that I stuttered too but it was just really easy to talk with her and it was just like Mm -hmm. well I've done you know I brought what I needed to to the table and be honest and open and all that and she was Mm -hmm. just responded in such a good way that it just made for really good communication so I think that's why things went so well and uh, and she's now my fiance so I yeah, that yeah. so that's a good success right there right <laughs> yeah. no, i think that was um yeah that was I, and i so i consider that an accomplishment yes yes it is and it's it's like when stuttering is just treated as a as a non-issue is probably the most desirable interaction with people yes yeah, yeah. But she's very mindful too about how she talks with me because she likes to talk and if and and I've told her about how I feel about when people interrupt me and she's very mindful of that too to make sure that she doesn't do that and she she doesn't. Hmm. That's good. Uh, So so to go back to the other question when I jumped ahead, do you have a particular like inspirational phrase or mantra or something that you go to um, on a regular basis? Mm, not really. I would think, I would, you know, I, I, I think that the most important thing for anybody is to communicate and to connect with people. And we need to do that. That's the, and a stuttering shouldn't stop us from communicating. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's so many ways to communicate nowadays and speech is one of them, but, and if we speak, we shouldn't, you know, I'm not afraid to change how I talk, mm-hmm. maybe sound a little bit different if I have to, maybe change a few words around if I have to. That None of that bothers me. It's all about communicating. I feel like if you, the, and especially I think, that has really hit home in the last, uh, how many months uh, have we been working through Zoom and socially distancing? And like nine. And stuff? Yeah, I think that's really hit home in this last year, that uh, realizing how important it is to communicate and not isolate ourselves. And uh, mm-hmm. stuttering can be so isolating to start with that I think we just need to, you know, not worry about um the, about how we're communicating but make sure we continue to communicate and mm. with each other because that's really going to be the most important thing. Yeah. good message yeah yeah so if you were in a group of people who stutter 
what question would you ask them to start a real conversation? That's a great question. Um, so, there was, well, there's always been two. Uh, one of them is the question about if you had, if you could take that little pink pill that would make it all go away, would you take it? Mm-hmm. But that's one is, um, that's the, but I think most people who, you know, especially people who've lived with it for such a long time tend to say they wouldn't take it. It's, uh, I usually, I'm usually not surprised by what people say. It's, you know, uh, mm-hmm. uh, a stuttering seems to be a part of, you know, it, it, it becomes a part of you that you don't want to lose. Mm-hmm. But the other question that I really like to ask is, what's the single thing that you've done that's helped you the most? Mm-hmm. I like to find out because I think that there's a lot of variability there. And it's, yeah. you know, um, and very few people point to uh, an experience in therapy. It's usually something that they've done or something that they figured out or something that, or a way that they've been able to use something they've learned in therapy mm-hmm. in a different way or an experience. But it's, uh, yeah, I think that's probably the question that I like to ask. Yeah, I agree with you there. I feel like most people who are, when you at, if you were to ask a question like that, would say that something that stuck with them most or it has helped them the most is something that's been unrelated to therapy um, or not, uh, not, or didn't come straight out of therapy, but maybe was tangential or something. But uh, I do hear people say more about certain life experiences that really made the, the big impact for them or, or made them do something differently or um, so yeah, that would be, that'd be a good question. Yeah. What are some of the things that you've heard? Well, I've heard, um, doing rhyming and rhythms, um, and, uh, doing that in the mirror, talking to themselves in the mirror or meeting. I hear lots of times meeting somebody else who stuttered, mm-hmm. um, fi- having somebody who then became either, um, a friend or a role model. Lots of times I hear when I met somebody else who, you know, had this great job or, or talked frequently in their job, um, and I thought I saw them do it, so then I knew if they can do it, so can I. Um, I hear that often, which is kind of the reason and the purpose we do all these podcasts and all these connections through the internet is so, you know, you get to, and, and support groups, so you get to meet another person who, who you know, who stutters and has had um, different experiences and just making all those connections. Yeah. It's really, I, I think when you hear those things and you hear the importance of good role models, mm-hmm. um, yeah, people seeing other people who stutter do things that are scary and uh, that they want to be able to do that too. And they, they realize that they can do it too. Yeah, I like that. If they can do it, so can I. You know, that's a, that's a good one. Is there anything else you would like to share with us today? Hmm. That's about the only question I don't have an answer to. I can't really think of anything else. What are the, um, what, what is the overall big picture purpose of the podcast? So I would say when people, um, we've taken a couple little polls to see if you were going to listen to a podcast, what would you want to hear most about or what, w- what would be the point? And, uh, and we, what we've gotten mostly is people just hearing other people's stories. Um, and 
um, doing kind of just, just what we talked about is I've heard so many people say, I haven't ever met or talked to or heard another person who stutters until I was, you know, umpteen years old or 20 years old. And so finding any way to make a connection is helpful. So support groups, great. Um, you know, in school districts, trying to create groups of kids who stutter so that they can have different experiences. Um, but if you're, you know, in a isolated area or in a position where you don't have an opportunity to meet another person who stutters, you know, maybe even just listening to a podcast or just having that regular exposure um, and, and hearing other people's stories so you feel like, you know, you're not alone or... Um, very cool. Yeah, it's um, it's all about making connections and mm -hmm. you know, and feeling okay about it. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for being on our podcast today. All right. Well, thank you very much, Tricia, for inviting me. I think it's great, and uh, there were it was fun and there were good questions to answer. Great. Well, have a good night. If you would like to be a guest on Stutter Stories, email us at worldstutteringnetwork at gmail.com. First timers are welcome.